Bible. Daniel actually says the same thing. He says, as for me, this mystery has not been revealed for any wisdom residing in me. And so I think what we're seeing here is this theme in the Bible, in the Old Testament, also in the New. Paul picks up on it as well when he says the words, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. The first fill in the blank, the first thing that I think Christians uniquely contribute to the world is, I don't have any answers. Is there a Shelley? Is there a Vivi? Is there an Allen? Is there a Gloria? Is there an Autumn? And then the answer becomes, I don't have the answer. Not I, but Christ. Especially in a time of lots of self-advancement. Let me put myself out there. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can get more attention to me. What we have is this different narrative in Scripture that's saying it's not in me, but it's Christ. You know, it's very interesting because the question that the kings of the earth that are looking for um, in Daniel chapter 5, for example, this is very interesting, where Nebuchadnezzar, uh, actually this is Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, says, are you that Daniel? I've heard about you. Are you that Daniel that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found? I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. I've heard about you that you have answers, that you have solutions, that you have illumination and insight and extraordinary wisdom. And yet our answer is not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Along with the Josephs of the world, along with the Daniels of the world, our answers are not I, uh, the wisdom is not in me, but God has an answer for Pharaoh. That's not something that you're going to hear from the political ticket. I don't have an answer, but God knows. In fact, God has been so separated from the discourse or abused that God is just, God only wears certain colors or God can only be used for certain platforms. I think that's a mistake. But we live in a society where God is not really present in our discussions anymore. And maybe, maybe the answer is not within us human beings. That whether you wear, whether you wear the title of an executive or whether you are in the mailroom, whether you are in the prison house, like Joseph, we're all human. None of us has an answer. None of us knows better. But God knows. God knows. So I think that's the first contribution that we Christians can make to the world. Not I, but Christ. There is an answer, and that wisdom will come from God. Let me go ahead and, and jump to that second, the second thing that Christians can contribute to the world. The second fill in the blank, and the second thing is truth-telling. Truth-telling. And it's, it's, uh, this is where I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 41, verse 25. It's very um, impressive that this young Jewish boy who stands now before the most powerful person in that part of the world and the way he speaks to Pharaoh. So listen to the way Joseph tells the truth. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do, 
Seven good cows are seven years, and seven good ears are seven years. And so Pharaoh has these dreams about seven cows, seven ears of grain. And Joseph says, this is what God is telling you. God's telling you what he's about to do. And so in verse 27, the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after our seven years, seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So once again, those words repeated. God's showing you. God's giving the answers. Very, very strong words. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming. After them, seven years of famine. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority, and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. This is the word of the Lord. Listen to the audacity of young Joseph. Pharaoh, your dreams are one and the same. God is telling you. I mean, who talks like that? And not only that, when he's done interpreting the dream, he says, now, Pharaoh, this is what you should do. This is my policy proposal. He pushes a folder in front of Pharaoh. This is what you should do, and you should identify somebody to be in charge of this. Hint, hint, wink, wink. And he makes this prescription to Pharaoh with such, a, such an audacity. Um, students of the Bible have long noticed that Joseph here, it, it's almost like he doesn't miss a beat. He takes this opportunity. The lifetime of an opportunity is the opportunity of a lifetime. Who said something like that? The opportunity of a lifetime lasts as long as the lifetime of the opportunity. Joseph, he understands these God moments. He says this is a moment he takes that opportunity. And I believe that we're given those opportunities. If we act well, if we've learned to rule ourselves, as I've spoken about previously, learning to master ourselves, so that when we come to those crucial and pivotal, pivotal moments, you're able to step up to the plate and you're able to perform. And so what happens in the case of Joseph is that he is able, he's able to speak at this time, and he's able to speak authoritatively. And this mark of truth-telling, truth-telling, I think, is what marks the people of God. The ability to say, fearlessly, with good regulation. You're not kind of stuttering your words and you're not kind of speaking out of fear, but you're speaking out of the God-given confidence and you're able to say things, not just like this, but listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel says, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you, Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness. 
Break away from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Who talks like that to the king? King Nebuchadnezzar can say at that moment, Daniel, young man, you realize that three of my advisors are, are hanging outside. And when I say hanging, they're literally hanging from, from nooses, from ropes, for talking the wrong way to the king. And yet you have young people like Daniel, like Joseph. Is this just a male thing? No. Esther. You know, a year ago, a friend of mine, he asked me, Wayne, so what are you talking on? What are you preaching on these days? And I said, I'm preaching on Daniel. And he said, and I've, I've told this story. I'm going to tell it again and again. He says, Daniel, isn't that the guy that got mixed up with Potiphar's wife? And I said, no, that's Joseph. But I'm so glad you made that connection. Do you know why that connection is important? That connection is important because this theme of the person of God, male or female, being in an influential moment for a time such as this, speaking truthfully, without fear, influencing the course of a nation, this is something that happens again and again in the Bible. And it's not just males, it's not just Daniel, it's not just Joseph, it's also female, it's Esther. You have this theme repeated throughout the Bible where people of God will be put in a place, you will be elevated from one house to another house. You might have started out in a small house, big fish in a small pond, but the next thing you know, you're standing before kings in influential places, before queens. A year ago, I remember um, being invited out to Malibu, California, um, in a very, very small round table together with the newly elected president of our denomination. And there were three other pastors from the covenant. Mind you, we have over a thousand credentialed clergy. And I was selected as one of the, one of the pastors um, because of, because obviously because of my illumination and insight and extraordinary wisdom, but truthfully because I, of my role as the president of the Asian Pastors Association. Nothing more than that. But the truth of the matter is we were able to speak into the future, the next 10, 20 years of our denomination. Um, the vision, some of my fingerprint is on that. The new vision of our denomination. You will go further. You will have opportunity to speak to high places and you have to use your voice. Use your voice wisely. Esther, when she used her voice, to speak in that moment, it was with fear and trembling, but she had to face her fear. Joseph saw the opportunity, and he had to use this. He had to use his voice. Why? Because the only option is to go back to Potiphar's house or to stay in prison. Daniel had to use his voice, even though it risked his role. But he had to use his voice. Friends, you will not be afraid. Is what I'm saying. And even if you are facing that speaking the truth and telling the truth when the world needs to hear the truth. Uh, it will be well received. It might not be well received, and yet you are in a place. Your contribution to the world is truth-telling. It's truth-telling. So the first unique thing that Christians introduce to the world that we contribute that no one else can, because the world is saying, it's me, it's me. Christians say, not I, but God has the answers. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Just like Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ lives within me. So that's the first contribution. Not me, but Christ. The second one 
is telling the truth. But there's a third and last contribution that we Christians um, and the people of God introduce to the world that no one else can bring. Uniquely Christian. And for that, turn your attention now to the end of the story. You see, we were just talking from Genesis chapter 41. I'm skipping to Genesis chapter 47. Do you remember I showed you that graph and how um, what Joseph does in the beginning of the story, it has repercussions at the end of the story. What does Joseph do in this section that we've just read? Well, what he does is he saves Egypt. He saves Egypt. He blesses Egypt. Because after he says those things to Pharaoh, instead of Pharaoh saying, who are you? He says, who do you think you are? Actually, Pharaoh... Pharaoh, in verse 37 of chapter 41, it says the proposal seemed good. And Pharaoh elevates Joseph. And what we see is Joseph, through his policy prescriptions that don't come from him, but that come from God, Joseph saves Egypt. But here at the end in chapter 47, what we're going to see is that not only Joseph saves Egypt and blesses Egypt, Joseph's father, Jacob, is going to bless Egypt. Joseph's father, Jacob, blesses Egypt as well. Friends, blessing Egypt is the most important contribution that you will make in your life. Blessing Egypt, and this is the third and the last contribution, blessing, but specifically blessing Egypt, blessing even the enemy, Blessing the enemy is the thing that Christians do that really I, I don't think the world can do in the same exact way. Yes, the world can forgive, but this unique thing, this, this, this blessing that comes through Abraham, the blessing of the Jews, and I know even in the Middle East, there's so much conflict right now that the Palestinians are still in the land. Israel owns the land. But truth be told, even though they have possession of the land, God's calling to Israel in Genesis chapter 12 is to bless the nations, to be a blessing even to Egypt, even to Palestine, even to our enemies today. Even to the enemies, even to Egypt. So in Genesis chapter 47, listen to the word of the Lord in verse 7. Joseph brought his father Jacob and presents him to Pharaoh. But what does it say? It doesn't say that Pharaoh blesses Jacob. It says Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You would think that the greater would bless the lesser. But actually, when it comes to God's people, they are always in the position of blessing. The people of Israel, and by extension, all of us, as branches that have been grafted in, we also carry that authority. You know, at the end of every Sunday, I do this thing, you know, the sign of the cross and, you know, the pronouncement of the threefold Trinitarian formula and raise my hands and I bless everybody. That's just in some ways symbolic because you now go to the world, you go to your families, you go to your workplaces, and you do the same thing. You know that? You bless the people. You bless the workplace. You bless your world. And you carry that blessing. All I'm doing is charging you. I'm just starting the blessing train, so to speak. 
You know, that's why for some people Sunday is the start of the week. Why? Because the pastor blessed us, and now we're empowered to go bless the world. That's what this is about. I bless you so that you in turn can bless the world. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And it says this twice. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived, young man? And Jacob says, the years of my sojourning are 130. I'm 130 years old. Few and unpleasant have been. And so they have this conversation. But then again in verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The greater blesses the lesser. But in this case, the people of God always bless. And we too are the ones that carry that blessing. See, in a moment here, we're going to celebrate communion, and I have an idea for how we can make this a much more participation-friendly service. Here at Woven, um, in this last year, um, I, I feel like the Spirit has been moving in newer and fresher ways. I find myself going off the script a lot more. I find the Holy Spirit introducing, whispering things in my ears, say this, this is important. And our, spirit, our, our service is becoming more alive as we're more attuned to the Spirit. And I want our service to become much more a, a participatory place. We need more testimonies. We need more people shouting out, amen. We need more um, involvement. We need more feedback. And so today for communion, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do it a little bit differently. In fact, let me share with you what we're going to do. Um, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to serve communion and I'm going to invite a few people um, on this side, actually a couple over here, maybe if Paul and Shelly, no, that's not going to work because Paul has to lead. So I'm going to ask if mother and daughter over there, if Gloria and Autumn can come over here, um, two people, and I'm going to administer a communion to you two. And then two people over here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the writers, with uh, Nick and Tanya, and I'm going to administer communion to you. And we'll have two, um, two plates and two cups. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to say some words, just like Jacob did to Pharaoh, um, just, like, um, uh, just like we Christians do to the world. I'm going to bless you. And maybe with some words, I'm going to say, you know, God's blessing be on you guys. And may God watch over you this week. Maybe say a brief prayer. But something to bless you. And then you're, when you take communion, you will in turn turn around and bless the people behind you, the two people behind you. And as you bless those people behind you, um, they will receive the elements and turn will bless the people behind them and serve communion to them. Does that make sense? So it's a blessing train. And it's an opportunity for all of us to practice blessing. Because you have to practice it, friends. Even for me as a pastor, it's awkward. You know, you know, I said pronounce a blessing, you know, blessing of the Father. So, you know, or God bless you, sister, or God bless you. You know, what are you going to say? What are you going to say when you see your boss tomorrow? Oh, God bless you. I didn't sneeze. <laughs> no, I, I, I meant, <laughs> and then you turn all pink and you're embarrassed. It takes practice saying words of blessing. But that's why we're placed on the earth. You know this, right? What does God say to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. But you will also be a blessing in turn. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. That's a powerful word. So the people of God actually can retain blessing. You can retain, you can withhold it. And in you, all the families of the earth 
will be blessed. Amen? Let me say, read one more scripture before I say, before I, I say some words of blessing. You know, John, John, in John chapter 20, Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of anybody, their sins have been forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. You know, this is not just priests, contrary to what our Catholic friends might believe. This is a word for all Christians. You have the power not just to forgive sins, but to withhold forgiveness. You have the power to bless. And so let me just kind of kick this off and get it started. Let me just pronounce this. I want to pronounce a blessing today, especially over um, the moms. We just had a mom deliver, and she's probably like, I don't want to see the pastor right now. Right? I don't care what blessing and what unction he carries, right? I don't want you to see me. I know lots of moms probably thinking that. Sometimes when I come in my earlier years as a pastor, it's like, the pastor's here. Oh, great. <laughs> right? What blessing do you possibly have to bring? And mom, she looks like she just went through war, right? But bless the mothers. Bless the mothers. I know you're struggling with a baby. I give you permission. It's okay. You have permission. And baby, you have and babies, you have permission. You can you can you can jostle and scream during my service because if the babies don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Amen. So the babies are babies are welcome here. Babies are welcome. Mama, you're okay. You have permission. Ain't nobody looking at you funny. Don't worry about it. I got your back. All right? You are completely absolved. Right? Our children's ministry, we can talk about that. We can make, how can we make woven service more? Because we have more babies coming. So if you're like, I can't listen to the sermon, don't worry. We have more babies coming. We will coordinate. We'll make this. But in the end, this is a place where we're welcoming mom, baby. We're welcoming the children. I bless the mothers at this time. In Jesus' name, Sue. We pray for Sue. We pray for Ryan. We pray for baby Noah. We pray for all of the toddlers. We pray for, we pray for Mona and Marilyn. We pray for, what's your baby's name? Christian, good name. We pray for Elias. We're praying for Benji. We're praying for the littlest ones. We pray for our friends. We pray for this coming Saturday in the community gathering. We pray for all of the people that will gather and have good food. We bless, we bless. And so um, I'm going to invite the worship team up as we move into communion. And um, is it okay, glow in autumn, if I... Are you okay with that? No? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out. Come on, we've got to start somewhere. And uh, if I can call the writers here, be bold, be bold. You know, this is a chance to receive a blessing and to be a blessing. You know, Jesus, when he... Um, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. He blessed it. But then he broke it. And he gave it away. He says, when you eat, eat in remembrance of me. Friends, Jesus is in the blessing. Jesus is in the, in the bread. The blessing, the blessing is in the bread.